the church. That's what we're starting today. It's our four-week series. It's the, the last of uh, 16 weeks, if you will, of our name. Gospel, life, Bible, and church. And so these are all four very important words in the Christian faith. And so um, it's interesting because I read that, speak, O Lord, till your church is built. And of course, we in the church understand that the church is the body of believers, but those outside think that the church is a building for the most part. Um, it's a place where people meet. And so, and the first part of what we're doing today, you can go to the next slide, Sean. <clears throat> um, the whole entire sermon today is the church is God's saved people assembling together to glorify Him. Very simple, very basic truth. Uh, that's why we're here. That's why we were called, and we're, we're going to go through a lot. And there's a lot in the text today. I tried to keep it super simplified, but nothing God does, nothing God does is very simple. He is a very complex individual, and I am finite, and he is infinite, and this makes it very challenging, <laughs> because there's just so much that goes on there. So, so let's pray, let's get started, let's talk about God and his church. So dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for allowing us to come here this morning. Thank you for calling us to be a part of what you're doing in the community of Genoa. Uh, as well as letting us share lives together for your glory. So, Lord, this morning we need you. Um, we need you in the Spirit to tune our hearts and our minds to your will, that we may understand your word, that we may be edified and thus glorify your name as we move forward um, outside of service this week and, and lead our normal lives, that we can be the church 24-7 for you, Lord. So, work within us. Lead us well. All this I pray in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, if you can turn in your Bibles there. Um, just real quick to give you a little background while, you, while you're turning in there. Uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of, according to Luke. And uh, you can read in the very first chapter, the, the Theophilus, uh, how the similarity and the correlations there, but... All in all, what's important about Acts is that's the mission of the church. It's what happened after Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came and where the church body was going, all the believers in Christ. And so it's those who are saved, those who are called, um, and where we're going and what we're doing and how we glorify God and what our purpose here is on earth because as we know, we're, we're in essence sojourners. Our citizenship's in heaven and yet we're, we're here on earth. And so what are we doing and how are we doing it and why and all these different types of questions. And so um, hopefully to answer a few, you can see the points on the back of the bulletin in front of you. It's, it's what we do as the church, how, how there is indeed unity in the church and then why we will forever be uh, Christ Church. And so uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating how this all ties together. And this is a, a, a real early passage in Acts chapter 2 here of uh, the church in itself and what just happened at Pentecost. Like there was 120 disciples before. Then God has Peter preach and God saves 3,000 and they just, I don't even know, 30 triple I, I would say quadruple, but it's a lot. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And it's, and it's all what, what God does. It's not per se what Peter does or, or anything of that effect. And so that gives me a lot of grace. And I'm really appreciative of that because I put way too much pressure on myself for a lot of times during the sermons. But praise be to God 
that this is his church and his will and his desire. And so I can just be a part of it, as we all are who are the church. And so uh, let's just read that passage now. So the fellowship of the believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as part of the background, uh, that verse 41, right before what we read, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So when we get to verse 42 here and we see the and they, you need to understand that this is God's church. This is, this is them. And so um, the word church is ecclesia in, in Greek. And ek, the first part of it, means out, and klesia means called. So it's those who are out called or called out into an assembly. Very simple, very complex too at the same time because it's those who are saved. So you see those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so this is those who were called out by God. And so I think about it in a lot of different ways and I just... Um, what we just talked about, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, what Carolyn read for us, uh, how he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That Colossians passage that we also read as part of our scripture, another calling. Uh, Romans 8, 28 to 30, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that might be the firstborn. And those whom he predestined, right, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The Bible speaks a lot of this. And even last week's sermon, when we were talking about the Bible and the wisdom of God, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you, um, you know, beautiful, all these different things. But the point of the matter is that the ecclesia, the church, is the called out assembly of people who are saved in God. So the church is God's saved people assembling together. Now, it's to glorify him is what's written in the main idea and the point, but as, as we see and as we go through the text, the and they was, is really important that we understand who we are in light of who God is for all of this. And so, not just is the church the, the, the called out, but it takes shape in two different ways. There's the local church, which is what we see here in Acts, what's going on, um, in that area of the world, we also see it here in what we're doing here this morning. This is the local church body, the local gathering of people. Uh, we, we see this everywhere because it's local. But much more than that and much more real than that is the universal church, the invisible church, 
that God has. Because we don't know who's saved and who God has called. We might see it by the fruit of their lives, but this requires a relationship, which is part of fellowship, which is what we're going to get into here in a minute. But the church invisible, or the universal church, the one that we don't see because we can't read hearts and minds ourselves, uh, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, who is the head of the church. And this is a pure society, the church in which Christ dwells. It's also called the body of Christ. It's called invisible because the greater part of those who constitute it are already in heaven or are yet unborn. And also because its members, still on earth, cannot be clearly distinguished. So, understand that there's this universal nature of the church, that when we read this, that those who are called out, we can't always see and clearly identify those who are called out. It takes time, it takes a relationship. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, are they growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are you able to see those types of things? Because that's the only way that we can, because we can't read hearts and minds, unfortunately. As much as we want to, that would be really dangerous too. <laughs> so let's not ever do that. And, and let's be grateful and praise God that we can't read hearts and minds because I got the feeling I know what a couple of you are thinking right now. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> so um, moving on in the text though, just, just to lay that foundation of the local church as well as God's universal, invisible church, as well as meaning that they're called out people for an assembly, for a purpose. Now we're getting what the purpose is, what we're called to do as the church. There's, there's four different things here. So the first one, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first part of what we do. Another word that I like to use for this is discipleship. Discipleship. It's the training of um, the whole process of the conversion, the baptism, and teaching the ways of Jesus. Like, what did the apostles teach? Well, they taught about the life of Christ and the coming of Christ. And they also taught about the Old Testament, how that showed that Jesus was the coming Messiah and, and all these different things. And so the Bible, which is, you know, the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, is what we're talking about here. Think about the Great Commission the Matthew chapter 28, 19, 20, uh, the great command that Jesus gave us is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, this is discipleship. This is meeting together, uh, building each other up in the unity of the faith, uh, talking about our Lord and Savior, uh, humbling ourselves, if you will, also in the reality of we don't know everything. And so discipleship, the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the scriptures and to learning about God and who he was, as well as who we are then in light of who God is. And so all very important things, but they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So the first part, discipleship. Second part, fellowship. Next, next part of this, and the teaching and the fellowship. So it doesn't say very much there about fellowship, but you see that the church wasn't ever alone in, in this instance. They were always together. Um, 
The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Frank, I know we've talked about this a little bit. Um, don't be alone. Because when you're alone, things are going to happen. And so when we look at fellowship from an earthly standpoint, um, we see that it's just very simply an earthly, it's just meeting together, so on and so forth. But there's much more biblically that goes on within this. And so as much as I want to take you like, through a, a numerous amount of different passages, I'm just going to lay it all out there and we can talk about this at a later date and time when we're discipling each other as the church and, and, and going through all these different things. But the first thing you need to know about fellowship is it requires a relationship. So relationships aren't easy. Uh, many of us have had them in a lot of different things, and I'm not just talking boy-girl or girl-boy or that type of relationship, but just the, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, uh, family life in itself, so relationship. The most important part about this that ties into the fellowship is that we know it's not just a one-and-done thing, and, that, and that's what this is. The, the main overarching point of this is that we all have Christ in common. We've all been called out in common. Like, we all come from very different backgrounds with very different upbringings, very different uh, economic statuses, uh, very different uh, physical ailments or, you know, uh, different sufferings, if you will, because of the brokenness of sin, very different. But we are a, a team, if you will. We're, we're God's uh, sons and daughters, and we are all brothers and sisters then, and, and that demands, if you will, a relationship, which is easily summed up in the word fellowship, but more so than relationship even is partnership. Like, let's talk about partnership in, in relation to fellowship. Partnership is, is working together towards a common good. And so what do we do as the church is we have a partnership in working together for the advancement of the gospel, for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Now, God's ordained it and God's sovereign over everything, but there's still a response and a responsibility within us to work together to glorify God. Because again, being alone, and we're going to get into this in, in another sermon series, but we all have unique gifts and talents as his church to build one another up in the unity of the faith, to help one another in our walks in life. As we know that we're not uh, you know, complete by ourselves, we know we're complete in Christ, but we also get a preview of heaven and we get you know, to glorify God uh, throughout this partnership. So working together as a partnership. And then lastly, stewardship as part of fellowship. So a steward, what you need to know is the steward doesn't own anything. They are the manager of that thing. Uh, if we go back to Genesis, we see that God made us stewards over the earth, uh, vice regents, if you will, that we are the highest, the creation that's on here to manage the planet quote-unquote, for God. Now, God can manage his own planet, but he's given us this as an opportunity to stewardship. And so we're going to see that here in a minute. But it's, it's sharing of your gifts and the possessions that God has blessed you with in this context. So fellowship, being a relationship with one another, being a partnership in advancement of the gospel, as well as being stewards of the resources that we have as a church body together to make our community and our lives better, so to speak. <coughs> Forgive me. 
And so, all right, I think that covers that a little bit. So the breaking of bread and the prayer is the third section. This is worship, okay? Um, breaking of bread. Very quickly, that can be twofold in, in this context of this passage. The uh, breaking of bread is very customary for sharing a meal together. This could very well fall under fellowship too, just the same. But we also see, and you see the table in front of me here, uh, breaking of bread is symbolic of communion, sharing of that in the body of Christ. And so, worship. So, human beings were made to worship. And the prayers as well. Prayers are worship. Why? Because it's a humbling of self and acknowledging that we aren't in control and that God's in control. It's a, it, again, we're worshiping God when we pray because we don't, we aren't in control and we're showing that we're not in control. It's a humbling effect and a dependency, which is exactly what God wants in this. He wants faith and trust in our walks to believe and to trust him. And so the, the foundation of every relationship we have, not just with God, but with other people is trust. And so very important to have this. And so human beings in general were made to worship. And I realize that a lot of people don't worship God today, but they worship other things. They worship other people or fads or icons or Hollywood or people or possessions or the list goes on and on and on and on. The overarching point is that human beings were, were made for worship. And Romans 1, verse 25, I think sums it up the best. Like I'd like to read the whole ending of Romans chapter 1 for you, but very simply, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, meaning people exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so we see that, that breaking of bread, human prayers, again, we were called, what are we called to do? We're called to glorify God. If we look at a lot of the, um, the old catechisms written back in the day, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. So it's worship him, it's glorify him, it's love him. And so we do it in all these different fashions. We devote ourselves to the discipleship, to fellowship, to worship, and then... Um, understand that biblical worship is the full life response, the, the head, the heart, and hands to who God is and what he's done. Uh, again, um, think of the greatest commandment. It's written four times. Uh, it's written in three of the Gospels. It's written in Matthew chapter 22, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 10, and it starts way back in Deuteronomy. And um, they are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this biblical worship of what God's talking about, about loving um, all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, again, remember that in Hebrew, heart was the epicenter of who you are in your entirety. It's not just your heart <laughs> as, as we know it. It's the entirety of your being. It's every part of you. And so that's what the biblical worship in this is. And so, again, to repeat myself, the fellowship, worship, discipleship, and then we go to verse 43 here, um, awe and fear. And 
mission. And those who believed and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It's much more clearly read in verse 46 or 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. But another part of being the church and, and what we do as the church is to be on mission for Christ. So we worship him, we discipleship under him, we um, <laughs> have fellowship with him and with each other, and then we see in verse 43 that there's mission involved in this too. And so very quickly, starting with the awe and the fear, understand that this is evidence of the power of God in, in this regard. One of the greatest, most powerful works God can do is to change the human heart towards a reverent honor of the Lord and of himself. And so where God is at work, lives will be touched in miraculous ways. And so I know many of us have uh, conversion stories of how we first came to Christ and what he did in our lives and, and how we were humbled and awestruck, if you will. Uh, there is most definitely a fear of the Lord. If I was to oversimplify it for you, like there is absolute awe and reverence for God for two reasons, and it's both sides of the spectrum. I can be in awe and reverence of our God because he can quite literally do anything he wants to do. <laughs> anything. He can make things out of nothing that don't exist. And we see that throughout Scripture and through his word and, and other things. And even in our lives, like some crazy situations and some crazy circumstances that have happened in our lives that kind of make us go, huh, really? <laughs> And so there's absolute awe and reverence in that. And on the same token, just the opposite, complete opposite end of the spectrum, God is completely justified to not do anything at all. He doesn't owe us anything. And that's scary. Because I think generally, as not just Christians, but as a, as a world, the vast majority of people are like, God owes me. God owes me because I went through this and I did this and I did that and he owes me. I worked. I did these works. I earned it. But we don't and we can't. And everything's been freely given to us in the first place. And we see as stewards that none of this is our own, but this is all God's and that everything that we have in our life is a blessing from God one way or another. And so both ends of the spectrum there for that. But... Um, just so you know, as you see the mission, I want you to think about this too, in, in, in relation to God and both sides of his spectrum, that he can do anything and he's totally justified to, to do nothing and to not intervene too. Just the same is that there's, there is that evidence of the power of God, but the mission means missio, which means to send. And I want you to think about what the most popular Bible verse is. Do we, do we all know it? It's John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son that whoever would believe um, would not be condemned. I'm stumbling through it. But it's really the, uh, the, the second verse. I didn't actually write it down, so it's all, it's all memory verse. Uh, the next part. And he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did not send, meaning he's on mission, Right? Missio, to send, to be on mission, to go, again, the Great Commission, go, therefore, make disciples, things of like that, um, that he sends them. 
long story short. And so the mission of God has uh, always been a sending program, okay? Like, I am part of the Send Network as a church planner. It's kind of funny how that works out. So I'm kind of on mission. I'm supported by them as a missionary. I am, I am sent, if you will, to come to the community of Genoa to plant a church. And so the mission of God continues and always will be uh, a sending program. So God sent his son into the world, who is God, uh, not to condemn it, but to save it, right? Okay, and now go back through all the other biblical stories that you can possibly think of. Like, God spoke to Abraham, right, in the land of the Chaldeans and sent him to a new land, right, where he would be the father of a great nation. Uh, he came to Moses in the midst of the Midianite wilderness and sent Moses to Pharaoh <laughs> to tell Pharaoh to let his people go that he could send them again. And so God sent his children out of Egypt into the promised land. And when they were disobedient to the covenant that God made with them, because, well, we're all humans and we're all sinners, doesn't make it right, but it's the reality of who we are. When they were disobedient to that covenant, he sent them prophets, right? He sent prophets to warn the people. And when that didn't work, he sent his son. And so that's what brings us to John. And you see this pattern of mission and being sent throughout the entirety of Scripture and through the entirety of the Bible. And so uh, think about it this way. And this is kind of a, a word play, so I'll, I'll go a little slow here. The mission of the church is the mission of Christ because the church is Christ. So again... Think about it in this regards. The mission of the church is the mission of Christ because the church is Christ. None of us would be here in the first place if it wasn't for Jesus changing lives, namely our individual lives. And then when we get together, it's corporate lives being changed. And so um, the Great Commission to go. I wanted to tell you this too. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Who really does the baptizing? Like, I can baptize with water. We have an awesome baptismal here, and we're going to get it going here soon. But I baptize with water, okay? Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and that's clearly written in Scripture as well. And then to go and make disciples, like, how did I get to be a disciple in the first place? Well, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and things like that. So what's our command in all of this? It's very simply to go. It's to go and to not be alone and to be in fellowship, leading to worship, leading to discipleship that leads to mission. And you see how they all work together. Every single one of those facets work together in that. And so, fascinating. And that, that is why, and we can say why, the church is God's safe people assembling together to glorify him, as well as this is what we do as the church. So... Point two, verses 44 and 45, how there is indeed unity in the church. These verses are very confusing and very misleading, um, but very God-glorifying, make no mistake. So we see in verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, Sean and I were joking this morning because I brought up the word communism. <laughs> and socialism, and that's where a lot of people think that the church might be about 
communism or socialism or equal justice or things like that. I, I wanted to put that to rest though very quickly because there's a major difference here between having to do something versus wanting to do something. It's completely heart motives. It's entirely heart motives. You cannot mess with that at all. And communism being a government mandated thing to do these Christians were not government mandated to do this. They didn't have their elders beating them over the head saying, hey, you got to give up your stuff. We got to share it all amongst ourselves to, to, to make it equal among everything. And so it's not communism. It's not socialism. It is entirely grace and love. And these people that saw themselves uh, as stewards, right? As stewards. These are all gifts. These are all blessings that I've been given in the first place. God's given me the greatest gift ever in salvation. So in my response, because God's given me the greatest gift that I ever need, I don't need these earthly things. That's exactly what's going on here. I don't need this. We can live together. We can support each other. God's got us. Again, this is a complete trust thing foundational to any relationship that God is absolutely in control and so the power of God is evident here and, and remember this because Jesus became much more important to them than their possessions I'm not entirely sold we can say that as, as a church body let alone living in America today when society and culture is screaming you 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 and you want this and you need to get that and all these different things very difficult very difficult but we see this in the early church and again Jesus being more important to them than their possessions because they realized that they received the greatest gift that ever existed so what do we do with that and how indeed is there unity in the church. And so I was fascinated and enamored with these, this word. They had all things in common. Because I know and I understand that as human beings created in the image of God that we are all uniquely different. And that science has proven that you know, DNA and a three billion digit code that lives inside each one of our cells makes us individual. No two people are alike. So how on earth do we have all things in common? And so I spent a lot of time looking and thinking about this, and there were, there were a, a bunch of different ways. And so understand this, that earthly, earthly-wise, I, I tried to simplify it. It's kind of it's fun. Um, earthly, we all sleep, right? We all eat. We all go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, that's very simple. We all work. We all play, we all communicate, we all have emotions, we all feel physical pain, we all have families, and we all have problems. That's just 10 things from an earthly standpoint that really bridges the gap between all human beings. Like, we all do. Like, there's varying degrees in each of those comments that I did. But the fact is, you all had to come from somewhere, so you all had a family, you all had places and, and things. We all eat, sleep, we work, we play, we communicate, we're emotional beings, we, we feel physical pain, and we all have problems. You know, Sometimes they're self-induced, sometimes they're from other people, but it doesn't, doesn't change the fact. But more so, think about it this way in the spiritual sense, because that's what the church is. It's, it's God's saved people coming together to glorify him. So we see that spiritually we are all saved, okay? And it's not something that we did. Not something that we did. 
It's all something that God has done. So we're all on a very equal playing field there. We all have the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all share in having spiritual gifts, even though our spiritual gifts are different. We all share in having them. God has made us stewards of these spiritual gifts. We all share the same Holy Spirit. We all share the same guide for life, His Bible, His Word, if you will. Um, we all share in being made in the image of God. Okay? Right? Um, we all worship as human beings. We all worship. That's, whether it's God or whether it's ourselves, we all worship. Make no mistake. Um, we all share the same great commission to go. Very simply, to go. And you know, God does the disciple making and the baptizing and things like that. We all suffer from the effects of sin. Make no mistake, again, whether this is our own doing or whether this is someone else's doing or just the flat-out brokenness and destructive nature of sin itself, we all have that. And then lastly, we're all called, all called to be his church. Okay? We're, we're not called to go live in exile, to be hermits, to be by ourselves. Uh, we're not called to do that by any stretch of the imagination. And so all things in common, even though that's uh, just a little bit, because there's so much more, there's so much more, that as a, as a sales rep from a long time past, uh, one of the things I was trained on, trained on is that if you can find a common thread with someone, you can have a conversation forever. <laughs> and it really is very much true. Um, what, what we would do is talk about something and then once we we found that thing whether it be sports or you know activities or lifestyle or you know all, all kinds of different things then you could go and you can continue to have conversations and share experiences uh this that and the other and and so um the reason why i'm saying that is that there is a lot that we share in common and if we look for those things that we share in common we can find those now on the opposite end if you want to look while we're different and, and find reasons why we're different, we can absolutely find those too. And we can nitpick on those, and we can harp on those, and we can not be friends because of those, if we really wanted to. It's wrong, and it's sin, but don't misunderstand that, again, the responsibility, the choice of the fellowship and the relationship and being stewards uh, allows us that flexibility and freedom, if you will, to make these types of decisions. So I would hope that we could find things in common as to why we can be friends and why we can build each other up in the unity of the faith that's Christ. But for some people, they look for the differences and they harp on the differences and that's why we can't be friends because there's differences. And I'm like, duh, every human being's different, right? Like, of course we're gonna be different. Do you realize that it's statistically impossible to agree with any one person on everything? Do you acknowledge that? Like, like it's, it's true. You, we can't. It's impossible because we're all different. So why are you harping on our differences when there's so much common similarity in our Lord and Savior calling us to be his church? And so, um, also, uh, while I didn't 
put it in here, chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, a couple chapters later, uh, also speaks about what they did as having all things in common. And I would encourage you to, to look at that section. But to keep moving on, uh, I want to talk about uh, verse 45 real quick. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay? This goes hand in hand with the stewardship, but I need you to know this word. It's called benevolence. It's called benevolence. And benevolence is defined quite simply as an act of kindness or generosity. Church benevolence programs are those that provide folks in need with the basic necessities of life. The most common benevolence requests from church members and non-church members alike often include things like utilities, rent, lodging, food, medical expenses, transportation, and then funerals. So those are the most common things. And so we see that the church was doing this already. And, and as a church body, yes, we do have a benevolence program. Like, it's not something that we blare on our wall or anything like that, but we're here to help each other. That when we do stumble and when we do fall and when bad things do happen, you're not alone. You're not alone. Okay? You have a church body here to support you, to build you up, to encourage you, and to help you in your process of life, of walking through this insane life together. Um, so you see that in the early church, and hopefully you see that in today's church too, um, that there is indeed sacrifice for one another and in general. Like, yes, you know, everybody worries about this and the money and then the communism and the socialism and, and all these different things like that. But again, it's not out of law. It's out of love for what Christ has done for us that we can see this in the church and that there is indeed unity within the church for this because the church consists of God's saved people coming together, assembling together to glorify him. And so lastly, the last point, and, and, and very simple yet, yet very complex at the same time, why we will forever be Christ's church, okay? And so look at verse 46 here in the beginning. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Okay? Um, and I guess we should continue into verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Just leave that last sentence for last there. But do you see the repeat of this in what the church was doing from point one? You see the temple there, that they were going to the temple. This is a place where discipleship was happening as well as worship, as well as fellowship was happening at the temple. Uh, being together in this verse and, and the passage, we see... Uh, fellowship again, breaking bread, uh, assuming that whether it was fellowship of sharing a meal or whether it was uh, actually having communion at that time, the breaking of the bread, uh, the communion, then that's worship, and then the favor among the people, the mission. Like they weren't just by themselves, right? None of, none of this says ever that there's the Lone Ranger, that they're just Christians by themselves and they just walked with God and had nothing to do with other people. Like, that's, that's not the case. It's not, not in here. I looked for it. I tried to find it. When I first became a Christian, I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't want to deal with all these people. I don't want to deal with all this drama, all this stuff, all this hypocrisy that you hear about in the church. I don't want to deal with any of that. But I found that I can't do it alone and that I was never meant to do it alone and that 
darn it. <laughs> you know, that, that I think uh, a lot of people who are introverts, like for me, for being a salesman, I was just burnt out with people because I dealt with people and their nastiness because I dealt with people and their money. Like, and people and their money are ugly things. Uh, you know, there's, there's no getting away. And so I was really burnt out. Like, man, I just don't want to deal with people or anything like that. But, but we see that our Christian walk is not alone and that we know that when we are alone, we're so easily susceptible to attacks and that we can easily stumble and fall and not feel good enough and to not feel worthy and to not be blessed as God has blessed us. And so the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this really answers the, the question why we will forever be Christ's church, because God ordained it, because God did it, because God called it. And we see also in the gospel uh, that it's not religion, which religion says do, the gospel says done, because Christ did it all on our behalf. And then he called us to this new life and this new hope. And so salvation is the work of God, um, just like the community of believers known as the church is the work of God. This is the reason we will forever be Christ's church, because it's God's work in, in our lives and why it's done. It's not something that we can earn, just the same as it's not something that we can just lose. Because if you didn't earn it, you can't lose it just the same. Again, both sides of the spectrum, right? Um, so the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus says that it's finished, and we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not how well we perform in these facets of being the church. Like, I, I hope and I pray that we can do all these things really, really well. Um, but there's differences between us, and there's going to be conflict, and there's going to be problems, and there's going to be things that happen because, well, we're sinners. We might be saved, but we're still saved sinners. Like, there's, there's just plain sinners, and then there's saved sinners. Like, it's our desire and our will to want to... Um, and glorify God and to be better, but some do it out of law, whereas hopefully the latter and us do it out of love for what Christ has done for us in the first place. So it is our heart's greatest desire to please our Heavenly Father, but make it not out of law, make it not out of obligation, but make it out of love for what He's done. Just the same as being the church, like a lot of people are looking for these, you know, perfect, ideal church, like we got the fog machine and the projectors and, you know, huge bands and orchestras and, you know, all these different things. But that doesn't make the church. That just makes stuff. <laughs> it's the people. It's always been about the people. And if the people fight for the people, then that's how the church gets built and built up. Because we want to glorify our Heavenly Father and we want to see lives changed for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has changed our lives in the first place. And there's nothing more beautiful in our walks than to watch other people come to faith and to see that excitement, that newness, the, uh, the almost recklessness of that individual human being that's just so overwhelming with excitement and they say silly things that, that lead people astray, but they get so excited and they just know. And they just know. And that's what faith is. It's just knowing. It's the, 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 the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? And so we hope for the better way and the truth. 
and we want to see that because I think we've seen enough brokenness in this world that when we turn on the TVs and, and watch the news or things like that, we see plenty of brokenness. Like we want to see these good things. We want to see God work. And so to see the power of God work through all of this and the church, it's a beautiful thing. And, and again, just to simplify it down, hopefully this wasn't too, too much information, but the church is God's saved people assembling together to glorify him. So don't forget it. And hopefully let's, Pray that God allows us to live it. So, dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be your church, to know you and to love you and to serve you and to simply go in your name and to be ambassadors for your sake. So, um, Lord, as, as we've, we've heard this morning, um, it's all about you. And it's what we do in light of who you are that we can even stand here in the first place. So allow there to be awe and reverence for you, Lord. Uh, allow us to be humbled and just allow us to go and to be the salt and the light and to sing your praises to other people and to watch you work, Lord, because that is a tremendous joy in our lives. So thank you, Lord. It is in Jesus' name that we will forever pray as your church. Amen.